Okay, so have you heard of Moran's Steak Restaurant in New York? <laughs> you know the story, right? I, I have heard bits and pieces of the so story. So the background to this was three three people sharing a house in New York. Uh, yeah. one of they're them, like tech employees. Yeah, one kids. of the name was Moran. Yeah, they're in their tw- like young kids. Yeah. Uh, 20-somethings. And he liked to cook. And they started posting reviews <laughs> of his steaks on the internet and they geotagged their building as Moran's Steakhouse, and then they saw more and more people following, and so they set up a fake website saying it was a restaurant, but it had a very long waiting list. And of course, there wasn't a restaurant, there was just a long waiting list, and then they they spoofed for one <laughs> night, they rented a, a room, put in plastic tables and chairs, and allowed 140 people from this waiting list of 900 to go to this restaurant, and then they just brought in a bunch of other kids to cook steaks in the back room and hurl them out. And all of that is slightly funny. <laughs> Except it just makes me fucking mad that we didn't think to do that first. <laughs> so I seem to remember that Lidl, the discount German food thing, mm-hmm. I need to check if this is true. I'm almost certain that in Shoreditch, when Shoreditch was becoming Shoreditch in London, they they spoofed up this very high-end restaurant that was a pop-up and was very limited time that it was available. And all Londoners were trying to get in this restaurant. And they revealed on Christmas Eve or something that all along, everything that, that was being served in this pop-up restaurant that everybody was trying to get into was just legal food. Um, which is kind of brilliant. But then it stayed open for a while because everybody wanted to go to the Lidl restaurant. I think it was Lidl. Anyway, we should do that as well. Uh, yeah. Discounter Lidl becomes gourmet dill in restaurant stunt. Yeah. That was, they that was renamed it. themselves right. to We'll gourmet post a dill. link. Yep. Love it. Um, we're home again today, which is weird. We're, we're still here in Richmond. And are you on the road soon? Uh, I'm in D.C. tomorrow. Um, oh really? But I, that doesn't count anymore. It doesn't really count unless it goes in the air. I'm in but, Chicago tomorrow, and that barely counts. But one of the things I've noticed is that um, when we're home now, we stay away from each other. <laughs> I haven't seen you. <laughs> I haven't the only seen time we've like seen you is week. in the podcast. Yeah, Nobody cares about this. Moving on. Fair. Uh, sponsor of the week. Sponsor, sponsor of the week. Um, speaking of travel, my involuntary sponsor of the week is away, partly because you hate him. And oh, partly because I love them and they take care of me. First and foremost, why don't you like Away? Because I listened to an interview with the the woman who founded the company. Um, it was like how I built this or something, one mm. of those. And she described building the company that was, and this is, I bet you love them for this. <laughs> is That's why you're going first. She didn't actually design a suitcase. Yeah. Or they, the, the they created the website and the brand and the feel and the look and they raised the money and then, after all of that, they went and designed the suitcase. It wasn't product-led at all, if I remember this interview right. And so since then, I've just been irritated. that, And it works, right? You build the brand, you build the anticipation, and then you just need to shove a product in that space. I get it. I also hate it. Yeah, like, so um, the, the founders, Jen Rubio and Steph Corey, were uh, Warby Parker alum. Oh, so that, they, oh yeah, yeah. See, it makes ah, sense now, God. as I'm not sure you don't have Warby Parker on your face right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, so they, they did design the brand before they designed the luggage. 
But to that end, I had a zipper that broke. And granted, I've run my suitcase Let's hard. Let's just emphasize, a zipper that broke. Yeah, see, I was caveating that I've run my suitcase hard you for do. seven you or do. eight years. Yeah. Um, so this is the first time I've had like a major malfunction. And I, we were in London. And I looked up the away store. It was right around the corner from my hotel. I walked over there. I talked to this British woman who sounded oddly American. Uh, it was a weird thing. We had a conversation about it. Uh, but she said, yeah, that's covered under your warranty. And I was like, does it matter when I bought it? And she's like, nope. Uh, if we have it in stock, you can have a new one. We can either ship it to you or we can just replace the suitcase right here if you bring your, do you have your suitcase with you? Uh, and so I went back to the hotel, got my suitcase, took it to, uh, away, they swapped it out one for one. I packed, unpacked one suitcase, repacked the second suitcase, and we left for Heathrow. And it was just a beautiful experience because they, I think, they designed all of the touch points before they designed the piece of hardware. And if you get the touch points right, the hardware doesn't have to be great. The best part is Away's hardware happens to be great. And so Away is our involuntary sponsor. I'm not being paid for this. I did get my suitcase replaced, but that was under warranty, not under sponsorship. I'm done. So Vera's our guest producer uh, today, as as Perry's, I don't know, in a bar somewhere or something. But the, so Vera, I'd like us to do this experiment. I would like you, so Vera books all of our speaking engagements. I would like you to sell Ace Colwood for a speaking engagement, send his media packet, all of his buzz, price it like him, all of his spin, and then just have somebody else deliver it. Ideally, somebody he doesn't like. That's good enough. With Find the equivalent of the broke zipper and throw it and see how it feels about this. I, this should, you should be so against this. Why? I'm going to tell you how you Why? Oh, because all of the things you truly love from heritage brands are about the design of the products. The Ford F-150, the, the classic Harley-Davidson motorcycles, the tools that last forever. And then you're like, oh, yeah, but the product, like, it's, it happens to be good, but that wasn't the purpose of, that wasn't the instigating moment. The instigating moment was how do we Warber Parker, the suitcase industry. And I, I get, I totally get the business model. I'm not mad. I, I'm not. I'm not mad at away. I know you want me to be mad at away. I don't care the order of operations as long as both come through. And I think what happens is we built a great brand. Therefore, the customer service doesn't need to be great. I would rather we nailed the customer service and we built great product. Um, and look, if you had to pick one or the other, I'd actually rather the customer service. I would rather the customer service be top-notch. Something's going to go wrong with any product at any point. If I can fix the fuck up, I'm happier than the illusion of never having a screw-up in the first place. So, I like away. Moving on. Um, do, you, do you still do suitcase curling? Yeah. yeah, and they've got good rolly wheels. This is where you, you race other people with their wheelies in an airport. Do you call them wheelies, rolly bags? I don't know what we call them. Oh, whatever. Yeah. Um, it's not like a game game because there are no rules, but I often win, and that's what's important. So you hurl your suitcase down the concourse of an airport uh -huh. with somebody else? Typically, uh, with typically like yeah, two people. Perry or, um, or something. Yeah, and distinctly not Alex because he doesn't have a wheelie. He's like an old man with a, I don't know, duffel bag. Yes. Yeah. Um, all right. The Zeitgeist. LinkedIn's getting weird. <laughs> and look, 
let me say we might be part of the problem and problem with a lowercase p vera you're not allowed to be nodding right now that's this is unacceptable uh yeah no linkedin so a buddy of ours sent an article about how linkedin has become um more of a social network uh linkedin alongside instagram facebook twitter or excuse me x that's a bullshit rebrand by the way we haven't talked about that Uh, we're not going to but fuck those guys um yeah, LinkedIn is about to hit the the Trace Commas uh, number. They're about to hit the billion users oh. on LinkedIn, which is a major milestone. My, excuse me, major milestone for social network uh, platforms, and it is becoming like your mom and dad on Facebook type of social <laughs> media platform. <laughs> and everybody's posting everything, and you know, it's not just about work. There's a professional, or excuse me, a personal aspect. And uh, yeah, some people are less than enthused about how folks are using LinkedIn these days. So I used to take a lot of criticism for using LinkedIn like Twitter. Yeah. But it was always about work stuff. Yeah. Mainly. No, it was just Is it bait. still always about it work stuff? It was just bait. <laughs> just propaganda. <laughs> just, just cramming the internet with propaganda. What I was taught about LinkedIn is that the, the engagement is irrelevant. It's yeah. very different from sort of other platforms the technical engagement what matters is the if you if you're looking at a metric it's the viewership and it's amazing there's almost an inverse relationship the things that are most engaged with get the fewer viewers and the things that aren't and it's often i i like the non-engagement because it means we went oh oh, i ah, shouldn't like that on a professional network i can't be seen Uh. i can't be seen to engage with that uh yeah i think linkedin will eventually die because it's had a long run though it's, it's had a really long, long run. run. Uh, and what I do like in the commentary and some of the stuff you shared was, and some of the things that people have been posting have been quite magnificent. Um, magnificent in inverted commas, obviously, is just how everybody is completely written off Facebook. In all commentary, it is just oh, the yeah. wasteland. And Facebook's a cesspool. Um, but I'll, I'll ask you this. Uh, philosophically yep. on LinkedIn. Yep. Are you one who connects with everyone? Or do you what is your belief about what LinkedIn is? Do you do you have one? And uh, I can answer if if I've just foisted a question upon you. So I actually think it's very let me first of all profess my love for LinkedIn. And I okay. think Microsoft's done an all right job with it. Yeah. And since it I'd acquired it a few years ago. As I think it's actually very helpful. I think it's very useful. It's particularly useful when you talk about sponsorship and mentorship of people and you talk about the power of sponsorship of being able to advocate for people who might not often get an opportunity i can't tell you the number of times that i send a message to somebody on linkedin and say you should look at her profile and see the piece that refers to them working in a restaurant i observed them in that restaurant Mm -hmm. showing the same behavior that you expect in the office and it's sort of like an evidential chain Mm. that goes through you can also coach people Mm -hmm. who might not have had um the sort of professional guidance that let's say my kids have yeah to uh say hey well look if you if you write it this way if you write it from this perspective yeah it's not it's not the dishwasher and the in the kitchen, you were running a production line in the kitchen, mm-hmm. right? It's a silly mm-hmm. example, but you got the gist. So I actually find it's very good for sponsorship. Um, mm. There's a lot of bullshit out there, obviously. But. Yeah, the the networking aspect. I've I'm anecdotally I'm finding that the 
hey, I see you're connected to so-and-so, will you make an intro, <laughs> has fallen off. Yeah. But it's because, I, chicken or egg, I think it's because of how LinkedIn has been used. It's no, it's like, hey, so-and-so who I passed in the hallway and saw their name tag at a conference I added on LinkedIn, and they accepted my request. And now that idea of you have a deep connection with this person in your per- digital professional network, therefore you could make an intro. Like, that's no longer... A, a reasonable assumption. And so I think the value of that end of LinkedIn has fallen off. And now it feels like we're shouting into the void on the platform. It helps in some regards to to do some background checking, uh, but even that could be manufactured. I'm, I'm torn on LinkedIn these days, actually. I used to only use it to connect with people I knew, therefore I could have some artifacts. Do you think the work from home has changed this, though? Is that because so? it used to be that you would only connect with people that you'd met. Mm-hmm. Actually, and I think LinkedIn used to ask that. Like, please. Yeah. So yeah. what counts as meeting? Uh, oh, I don't think that's an issue. Like digital or virtual meeting. If I've been on a couple Zoom calls with somebody, I'd, I'd connect with them. But it's synch- It's still synchronous. Uh-huh. So I've just got off a call uh-huh. with a professor that I've been emailing back and forth with for weeks. Yeah. We just did the call. I wouldn't have felt like I could have connected with him on LinkedIn prior to that synchronous call. Hmm. It's almost synchronous, asynchronous. Did you have a live interaction with them? Uh, of a yeah. live interaction is interesting. There's a the, phone that's call. There's the a video call. Tissue. It could be in person. But I think it does go back to this argument that we have to do real time stuff as human beings because the tipping point is that I know them, isn't it? That's it. So email back and forth. Mm. Actually, I've probably communicated with some people in the Gulf recently more than this professor that I was just talking with. Mm-hmm. But I feel I have a connection with him, not with the people that I've been emailing back. Had far more communication because it's because it's asynchronous. Do we need to be in real time? There's a question. That's a real question. I'm LinkedIn. I also uh, think last thing is we <laughs> LinkedIn. Not that I think about LinkedIn a lot, but maybe it's the Roman Empire equivalent. Ah, uh, there we go. Uh, is let's not talk about that but it's we interesting won't. it is yeah. interesting yeah, yeah but seriously and the though, answer like the is more often and the shields than, yeah that'd be great <laughs> <laughs> and the walls and the like the chariots and everything yeah, yeah but we're not talking about um i've never been to rome and i don't want to go because i think it'll be a little di- i'll be like oh is it only that big like yeah, I mean, right. i'd yeah. have been fine here i, yeah. I would have done very well <laughs> in this tiny place <laughs> anyway back to linkedin i think it is a place that People can say like, "I see you." It's a it's a little way to be like. I think sometimes there are like hidden messages in. I posted yesterday that we're we're leaving Canvas, mm-hmm. and the people who've engaged with this range from like senior executive service in a space agency, through to uh, PR people in yeah. in the Silicon Valley, and but it's a little bit of like, "Oh hey, I think there's just an oh hey in there sometimes yeah. with some of that type type stuff." I'm using the the love button more often than <laughs> the, the like button. The, that's the love button. I know it's you know what I mean, yeah, yeah. right? Like it's just you see these uh, minor shifts in behavior over a large population, and uh, it is a fascinating case study in how humans hey, interact I, with oh, each other. Shit. Can I ask you an old person question? Oh God, it's crossed my mind yesterday. Okay, so I I amongst the phrases that I use often is a hundred percent. If I agree with somebody, I'm like, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred p. Yeah, so but when I type that into mm-hmm. into a text, it, it shortcuts to like a hundred written. Mm-hmm. Does that does that? It's so I've been using this for years now, and it struck me just yesterday. I was like, what if that means something else? It doesn't mean a hundred percent. It does mean a hundred percent. Oh, doesn't it? Oh, shit. It 
speaks volumes for your sexual proclivities. <laughs> also, yeah, it just means 100%. I've been eggplanting. <laughs> no. A, hun- a hundo pee. Uh, yeah. Yep. Wow. Okay. I think that question's been answered. Um. Not well, but answered nonetheless. <laughs> we don't call it an eggplant an eggplant in Europe, and I forgot what, what we call, call it. it. We call it a. <laughs> been here too long. Shit. An aubergine. A, a, what? <laughs> <laughs> we call it. Nobody, please, if you're listening, spell just that. Stop. Spell just, it. And, and unsubscribe <laughs> from following this. It's an aubergine. Aubergine. Oh, oh, not aubergine. aubergine. It's A U. Yeah. My government name is Austin. <laughs> I, it's not Austin. That it would be Norwegian. Be that's Oystein is uh, where it comes from. But yeah, yeah, no, that's aubergine. Yeah, we, yeah. I've been aubergining people. Oh. Hey, next time. Um, <laughs> I just want to go home. Next time you go to Auburn for a football game, because that's a thing you do often. Call it Auburn and see how that goes. Okay. okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, so LinkedIn is weird. Uh, LinkedIn, as, as are we, apparently. Um, Moving on. Yeah. Should we go to Tools for Tools? Yes. Nice. What should we learn this week? We should learn from one of the best of the best, Lucy Taylor. Hi, Lucy. Um, Lucy went on a tear of a rant the other day about facilitating and not believing in desks or 90 degree angles. <laughs> just no corners. Not, no not believing <laughs> in angles. <laughs> yeah, just like, just flat out rejection of whatever the flat earther equivalent of uh, desks and angles is. That's Lucy. So she went on a rant about, and it, it was actually, once she got through the rant, I understood where she was going. She was talking about circles and why they're so powerful in facilitation. And, um, by removing barriers that are uh, the desk that, you know, you walk into a room for an offsite or yeah. a retreat and everybody has a desk in front of them and then you can open your laptop and all of those things, starting with the desk, allow you to create or insert barriers between you and a facilitator or your fellow yeah, yeah. colleagues in a room. Uh, whereas a circle and uh, sitting in a circle, not necessarily to sing Kumbaya, if that's your thing, cool. Uh, but in order to remove barriers and have connection with and contact, eye contact with a group of people in the round is a really powerful way to make decisions, have conversations to, uh, particularly given the name of her firm being Make Work Play, to play in a way that furthers our understanding of each other and our ability to do great work. And so circles as a, a, a way to facilitate connection starts to expedite our ability to connect with others was that what you were filming when you were spinning around on the south bank i saw you post that video i had i didn't watch it because you posted a linkedin i was like it's just propaganda he's throwing out uh okay you were talking about removing removing angles but it's really about if i'm hearing you correctly it's about removing barriers it's about removing barriers because in a circle everybody can see everybody else exactly and there's nothing between them as they go through and there's there's a bit of equity built into that and you know if somebody starts to say a thing or starts to raise their hand most people will catch that at least in their periphery and they're less inclined you know if i'm sitting in front of the room and bogarting a conversation i don't see all of the people who might want to jump in and i don't make space for them and so the circle gives visibility to and remove some of the barriers that you know my ability to open my laptop on the desk in front of me if that's not there 
it's different that I have a laptop in my lap and nobody else has that. It's just there's a social pressure to be here and present rather than distracted. And yeah, that was that was Lucy's takeaway. The um we can do this another week, but the the concept of invisible frameworks we mm. use when we're talking about uh, in groups and out groups, like that whole idea of a barrier. And actually, just coming out of this call this morning, we we touched on the subject of how does one measure the um, the cost of the the barriers that we put in place, either for public health reasons. Um, so I'm thinking about those shields that if you're in a store and they've put up sort of the perspex shields or still in some sort of check-ins in ho- hotels, they're still up there. Um, which sort of, you can still make eye contact, but I also think about the invisible boundaries. I've talked about this before, but the fact we don't make eye contact for a transaction anymore because we're staring at the machine or our phones for a mm-hmm. payment, we're not actually making face-to-face eye contact. Like what is the friction that is created? You know, we talk about sort of acute stress and ambient stress yeah. in that one often, depending on your personality type, you can handle acute stress almost easier than just that background um, hovering stress. Same thing I wonder about. So an absence of eye contact over, over a transaction doesn't have a direct trigger, mm. but over a series of times where we're missing that human um, engagement of being respected or taken seriously or interesting, you immediately looked me in the eyes when I was making that point. Like mm-hmm. you, you lifted up from, from the iPad. Um, yeah. I will quote Ben from uh, the general manager of Laura Lee's bar down the street. I was in there the other night with my laptop and having a drink. And I said to him, you hate me doing this in here, don't you? And he said, yes. <laughs> you, you, this is yeah. a place for conversation, not for you to write posts to LinkedIn. Um, okay. So, okay. So circles. So everybody should think about when they're having a conversation that's tough and or creative Removing the barriers, and oftentimes that will result in a circle. It does, and uh, uh, yeah, the the thing I'll maybe land here. You remember that uh, the gig we did in San Antonio with the rocket scientists? Yeah. Um, we, we had a large room. It was set with a bunch of tables, and I was channeling my inner Lucy. And this was I don't know six months ago or so, and uh, we removed all the tables from the room. So you and I were hauling tables out like thirty minutes before the session started, and we just piled the chairs in the center, and we said, "All right, uh, we're going to get started in about twenty minutes. Um, you all orient the room the way that's appropriate." And they very naturally put themselves in a circle. And I think for the work that needed to be done in, in that offsite that we were running facilitated really great conversation. And my prior experience with the same group is that they were all like half putting out fires on their laptops because they had desks and tables and they just spread and made workstations rather than space for conversation. So I've seen it in real time, just letting a group kind of naturally orient to a circle and the work that came out of that was really compelling. Back to those uh, rules around barriers uh, or, or like the the structures that are impl- put in place to keep barriers going. Um, do you remember what happened on day two? No, I don't. So this hotel staff put everything back. They brought order, quote, back. Mm-hmm. And I uh, gave the GM a little bit of a hard time about it, that they hadn't left it in yeah. the more flexible space. And he said to me, of course my people are going to quit. They'll lose their job unless they reset this room to how it should be. Mm. And I suddenly swung back. You know my passion for uh, hotel rooms? Yeah. Like imagine 
imagine your mum's the hotel maid or your favorite aunt mm-hmm. and leave the hotel room as, as you would want her to see it. And yeah. I, I purposely choose my mum or my aunt because it's all, almost always women who are, mm-hmm. who are the maid service in a hotel. I was suddenly like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like what, what the hotel staff saw was, oh, crap. I'm going to be in trouble with my boss. Yeah. I've got to fix this. Yeah. I've got to put all the barriers back in place and back and forth. I thought that was interesting. It, it's all, and it's all <laughs> interwoven in how we engage and interact with each other. I like that. Envoy Tank Radio. Oh, we're going to talk about military and civilian stuff. Oh. Yeah, except kind of, sort of not. We're going to oh. talk about the battleground that the courts have become mm. of late. And this is as non-lawyers, I, uh, because that caveat needs to be thrown in here. Uh, no, the courts, I think, are really interesting in shaping society right now. Um, so just a couple highlights. And then the, the thing that I think is, is most interesting, it's probably not most interesting. Uh, Supreme Court's back in session, the, the United States Supreme Court, as of the... As, as of yesterday, um, they've got a couple things on the docket, uh, First Amendment, social media, gun rights, gerrymandering. Um, the big thing that folks are watching out for is uh, power swinging more towards the judiciary and away from the executive branch. Mm-hmm. And so like those are just on highlight. Uh, Hunter Biden is in court right now. And that's on federal gun charges lying on his uh, his gun registration. Um, Donald Trump has been found liable of or for liable of see not a lawyer fraud. Uh, so um, President Trump is in court in New York and may lose his ability to do business in the state. Um, so there's look we've got balance so sides. I, let's be clear about what yeah. he's being made guilty of. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, not all of the charges, but the judge has already taken away control of some of the buildings. Right. Like has confirmed that he has broken the law over those pieces. So not all of the charges, the case is still going. But yes. Um and um it's an interesting <laughs> approach the former president is taking in publicly attacking the judge who solely determines the outcome of this case as his lawyers failed to check the box that would provide a jury. And so it's purely a judge adjudicated case in this matter. Um I personally would um yeah if i'm taking a driving test i don't think i'm gonna post yeah you get the gist the hunter biden thing um i think this is the distinction between how something is framed and giving the giving any appearance of a cover-up and i'm being very careful about what i say the appearance of a cover-up mm versus a cover-up, and they're different things. And we deal with this quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Where what, nuance and like uh, <laughs> being particular about one's language well, is crazy. So when, when you want to make clear you're not covering up, even if you aren't, the degree of transparency you need is maybe threefold mm-hmm. of transparency. Mm-hmm. And that may not be right, but it doesn't matter. Like if what if the outcome that you want is to be seen transparent, and I I feel like the Hunter Biden thing we haven't been threefold, right? In in experiencing threefold transparency on it, which is enough to feed the algorithms and the advocacy on one side. Yeah, yeah. So the courts are just they're yeah. There's Have a you been lot to the happening. Supreme Court? 
Have you been inside of it? I don't think it? I ever have. No. It's worth a visit. Is like, it, really? it feels like Rome. We were talking about Rome earlier. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all columns. And then you sort of, you peek into the chamber and it's the chairs on a podium. It it could be straight out of the set of an HBO sort of uh, mini series. Architecture is fascinating because all <clears throat> most of DC feels that way. Yeah, it's all like inspired by Roman imposing columns, columns yeah. and yeah, uh, Doric columns is that's a term I learned in art history many moons ago. There's a difference between a column and a pillar, isn't there? Sure. And I don't know what it is, but there is a difference. I'm sure there is, and somebody would know. Veer just looked at us, which means we'll have an answer here in a second. But yeah, so the Supreme Court is setting the guidelines of the principles around which we operate. I wonder, though, if that's really new. Like, I'm, I think there's a, the, some of the traffic that we see about an overreaching Supreme Court might not be the same traffic if it was reaching in a different direction. Mm. And um, I do think that the, yeah. Yeah. And all of this stuff around um, uh, Clarence Thomas mm-hmm. and the money he's received and access to Supreme Court justices, it won't surprise you that I'm not a Clarence Thomas fan. Yeah, sure. Of his sort of social outlook. But I do think the Supreme Court, the whole point of it is that they are not accountable. <laughs> like, that's They've what a life appointment life. is. Right. Like, they are, they, they sort of, they're kind of the only job that by definition, their job is to do whatever the fuck they want. <clears throat> and there's a group of them and there's a process for getting them there and you follow the process and then they're there. And I, I almost feel like that the, when the founding fathers were sort of laying this out, they were like, oh, shall we? <laughs> shall we do this? Sure. Nah, ah, come on, let's go for it. <laughs> this will be fun. And let's see, is that you've got, you've got a different structure mm-hmm. for doing And I just, we, in, in that sort of accountability, I feel like we're applying the accountability of Congress onto the Supreme Court. I'm going to get so many people pound me on that. Uh, so Clarence Thomas recused himself for the for the first time Did he? on a January sixth uh, related um, case, and so uh, yeah, uh, look, I think this idea of um, complete objectivity and neutrality when it comes to humans is silly, and uh, we hold the Supreme Court to a higher standard whether the, whether or not they operate at one. That that I think is what a lot of people are grappling with. Not the implications, but just the idea that maybe the Supreme Court may not be as neutral as we want them to be. And like that, that's hard f- from an institutional standpoint. I think that's what people are struggling with. Um, and so just to, just to pound, I've yeah. <laughs> pounded on Trump a little bit, let's, let's pound on the left. Is yeah. That, yeah, the same group that were like talking about neutrality were the ones who are like, hey, Judge Ginsburg, Justice Ginsburg, you need to get off before you die. Well, if this is a if this is a neutral entity, it's why n- are we gaming when people die about getting appointments to it? Like, it I mean, not a let's own entity, what it is. Yeah. It's not a neutral yeah, entity. No. It's it's through political appointments. It's a bit of a raffle, but I also think it's designed. It, it was designed to be self-regulating. The justices regulating themselves, and that's the yeah sort of whether that's happening in the way but we want. But power is incredible. I do think what we're not, we might be focused on the wrong thing again, is that part of the power of the Supreme Court, I feel, comes from the litigious environment 
of mm. the United States. That there is legit. so much capital deployed. I'm not sure if it's still the case now, but when I worked, I worked briefly for a law firm. And if you added up all of the litigation fees generated all around the world in the whole legal industry, it still didn't match that of the United States. Wow. And so, you know, because there's so much tied up in litigation, then it magnifies the role. And one way we might be able to resolve this is de-emphasizing litigation as a, as a, as a, as a process, putting limits, you know, all Conceptually, of that. Yeah. 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 Pushing things back to, toward arbitration, remediation. Uh, eh. <laughs> um, the last piece on courts, and we're going to take it across the pond to your neck of the woods, is uh, Banksy's name may be revealed. In a, in a court filing, court. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the there's there's a guy who has long been at least in part believed to be Banksy uh, is suing Banksy's company for defamation, and as such, Banksy's real name may end up in court filings as a oh, defendant. And so the the courts are doing some good in the world. Yeah, I mean there and, are uh, there this are, guy's been anonymous for thirty years. There are protections for spies testifying in British courts. I'm not sure that there are protections for artists. Golly, <laughs> 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 uh, courts just shaping <laughs> the face of society. Uh, and I would love if if Banksy turned out to be like some really like wound up right wing Daily Mail reading, <laughs> and it was all just like it was it was sort of the equivalent from the right of that restaurant joke oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh no oh, turns out it's boris johnson <laughs> bojo is banksy. bojo is banksy Golly. let's let's put that rumor out uh-huh. yeah uh-huh. okay uh let's uh after we've mangled any understanding of the purpose of the supreme court Perfect. let's yell at clouds and pretend oh. we know something about something else my favorite no i we know a little bit about driving and uh i'm not sure what they're teaching people in driving school today but i have seen a a significant rise in people using hazards to denote parking like hey i'm going to parallel park therefore i've put my hazards on you know what hazards are for it's a fucking obstruction in the street (laughs) and you should go around me not i'm going to park in this spot which is what a turn signal would be for you would stop and put on your turn signal and that would let most people know that you're backing into a spot and so this like hazards first turn signal uh for me particularly in a time where food delivery has That's what's just skyrocketed. Yeah. Because you hazards yeah, just I, mean I'm parking here I for don't, a while. I have no idea yeah. what you're... I'm going to stop in the street. It's a one-way street. <laughs> I'm going to stop here. But I put my hazards on, therefore it's acceptable. Um, so hazards have become... Uh, they ha- have taken on the meaning of I'm going to do whatever the heck I want right <clears> now and you're going to have to deal with it. And yeah, I think that's ridiculous. So link to that. Can I share my American observation oh. moment about highway laws here? Okay. Is how different they are state by state. Yeah. Not the law, but the interpretation of the law or whether it's like prosecuted or not. So in California, if you're in Santa Monica, California, and you, you even look at a pedestrian crossing, like cars will screech to a halt. Like you glance at a pedestrian, like cars will, they will grind to a halt. There'll be a nine car pileup rather than risk being in the way of the pedestrian crossing. 
in Virginia. Wait, wait, wait. For anybody who thinks we manufacture yelling at clouds, you were yelling about this the other day because <laughs> we had this conversation about how whatever you'll say about Virginia, Charlottesville is its own microcosm where people slam on the oh, brakes. Like, yeah, that. Charlottesville's like that. Well, in, in the rest of Virginia, like if you cross at a pedestrian crossing, people will look <laughs> at you like, what in your right mind made you think that you should cross there? And you're like, there are lights and flashes and stripey things yep. and... Well, not why would you walk hell. in the middle yeah, of the street? Yeah, I'm there street. with That's my kids crazy. saying, do not trust this. Do uh-uh. not trust this button. Nope. Do not trust nothing. Not mm-hmm. until you see. So the arrogance of Ace Callwood, um, as evidenced by speaking about himself in the third person, uh, <laughs> is such that I think I just walk across streets. Yeah. I, like, I make eye contact with drivers <laughs> as I do. I look them right <laughs> in the windows of their souls. Yeah. I walk in front of their car. People are like, oh, my God, you're going to get hit. And my, my singular argument is this. It's not that a car wouldn't kill me. It's that I think most drivers would have to do the math on whether they'd total their car by hitting me, and then they slow down. Like, for, for Vera, heaven forbid, I hope nobody hits you with a car, V. But you, you just kind of bounce off. I'd, I'd jack up an engine block at my size. <laughs> And I think people do that math, and therefore they stop. So I command like traffic. Deer. I feel You're like in the same Moses. category as stag. Exactly. I'm don't hit a deer. Don't get an ace. It's going to wreck my car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, avoid that. so one of the reasons I I wear jackets all the time when we travel on business, uh-huh. like it doesn't matter. I'm always in a t-shirt, jeans. So I was throwing a jacket. I don't think you've ever seen me do this. You want to you want to cross a really busy road in Manhattan? Oh God. Talk into your lapel collar and put your hand up. <laughs> Everything stops. Oh, if bullshit. you're really right, no, no, way. no, no, no. You've never done this. No, yeah, yeah. So you walk down the street. You need to get you running late for me in Manhattan or something. Even New York traffic or Boston traffic, right? Just <laughs> talk into your collar no and then way. put your hand up. You All traffic lying. stops. Try it. We're gonna do it the next trip. I think the point I'm making is I don't need a jacket <laughs> to do that. I just put my hand up. But I hear what you're, you're just deploying this stack strategy. Wow. Okay. I didn't say I was law enforcement. <laughs> I just acted like law enforcement. Uh, just an AirPod <clears throat> and a lapel. Yeah, there just a whole year. And wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I learned a thing today. Did uh, <laughs> the best upgrade I've ever got out of my life Jeez. was we were. Um, I was <laughs> I was working for the embassy, and we were in Las Vegas. God knows why we were there. And John, my number two, was a very tall chap, and uh, we were in. He happened to be wearing like a dark suit and white shirt and i'm checking in it was caesar's palace i think it was and we'd sort of given of embassy credentials just for our id and mm. stuff we're checking the room and we're checking in and it was just a regular room that we booked on government allowance and then she glanced above me he was very tall she glanced above me and then suddenly upgraded us to a huge suite <laughs> and so we got up to this room and i'm like what what did you do over my shoulder, and he went. Oh, I just, I just talked into my collar. <laughs> <laughs> they think you're a prince. <laughs> oh no. Anyway, there's a lot can be done with talking into your, into your lapel. Things we learn. That should have been in the tools for tools segment. There we go. Um, all right, where are you this week? Um, oh, you Chicago. Week, this Chicago. Week? What about next week? Uh, this if people want to find you next week, if I owe you money, I will be in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, I'll be joining you there briefly. Oh, for for one day. Uh, Am I in Columbia? I'm in, in uh, Greenville. You know, I'm not in any of those places. I'm in South Carolina, somewhere <laughs> in the state. Marsha, Stephanie, Karen, sorry. 
You were also the person that proposed doing a South Carolina session in Savannah, and everybody had to point out that that's in Georgia. I had to, after the fact, look up Savannah, South Carolina, and I know many facts about that tiny town. Oh, there is a Savannah, South Carolina. Of course, there's a Savannah, South Carolina. Um, And I will be in Florida. I will be with uh, uh, some of the leadership team at Hertz, Hertz Car Rental. There we go. I'm uh, trying out my first electric car rental. Are they letting you, are you you renting one? I mean, I... This is not a paid plug. Yeah. But uh, Hertz are really going hard in on electric vehicles. Yeah. That's exciting. Actually, it'd be my first time driving an electric car. Look, as as we close out. Actually, so this time I've next been. week, I'll be filing an insurance claim. <laughs> 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 Laura, I'm sorry. Yeah, we broke it. We didn't break it. He broke it. Uh, the happiest I've been behind the wheel or in a vehicle in recent memory is in a Tesla heading to the airport or to the train station. Vera got us a Tesla from a gig to Union Station in D.C., and she said, we need to be there in 10 minutes. If you can get us there, we'll tip handsomely. And the dude gunned it, and it was just all power through the seat. Like, I just had this shit-eating grin on my face. It was brilliant. Uh, Look, if we ever need to convert people to EV, just put them in an electric vehicle and go fast. Anybody who's a petrol head, et cetera, myself included, uh, could be swayed just by that experience alone. All right, since we're talking about traffic rules, we'll finish with this. Um, Kate, my, my daughter, referenced her uh, half-brother. Uh, we have a very, very wide and blended family in our family. <laughs> Jude, who's fairly recently become a driver, right. um, hit a dog in the dark in the oh. neighborhood. Oh. And she said the dog's okay. okay. I was like, how is Jude? She said it's a bit traumatized because... The detail's not quite correct. The dog hit the car. <laughs> <laughs> the dog ran into the side of the car, uh, which all right, I all right, all right. I just think the dog ran into the side of the car is uh, should be the title of the next book. There we go. Somebody write a book and name it that, courtesy of Scott Wayne. I'm Ace Gallwood. And I'm Scott Wayne. And this is, oh, I think I say we'll see you next week. And you say maybe. The worst episode ever. Love it. See you next week.